Welcome to On the Porch, the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Well, howdy, and welcome to a special episode of On the Porch. I'm Silas House, and I appreciate you joining us today. On this episode, we're going to do something a little different. We'll be speaking to singer, songwriter, memoirist, Allison Moyer. And throughout our conversation, we'll be listening to some of her music. She's long been one of my favorite artists, and recently she released a memoir and a companion album that looks at the violence she experienced in her childhood and the way that has shaped her life. Both the book and the album are called Blood, and both have been widely acclaimed. We're going to start off with a track from the album called All I Wanted, Thanks Anyway. Ever since her debut in 1997, Alison Moyer has been one of our most brilliant and consistent songwriters. She has received nominations from the Academy of Country Music, the American Music Association, the Grammys, and even an Oscar. We'll talk more about that later. She has recorded 10 remarkable albums of her own, and her songs have been recorded by people like Tricia Yearwood, Miranda Lambert, and many others. Allison is a native of southern Alabama and now lives in Nashville with her son John Henry and her husband, beloved singer-songwriter Hayes Carl. This year, she delivered a walloping double punch by releasing a highly acclaimed memoir and a companion album, both entitled Blood, which we'll discuss today. She's on tour right now, but she's taken some time out of her travels to speak to us by phone here on the porch. Thanks for joining us, Allison. Thank you, Silas. I'm happy to be on the porch. <laughs> I do want us to talk about your most recent record, but let's start off by talking about your memoir, Blood. What would you like our listeners to know about the book? Mm, well, you know, this is this book is a memoir of my childhood, mostly. Is set in three parts. Uh, the first two deal with my childhood, who my parents were, and what it was like to grow up uh, in my family. And part three is um, mostly present day and a reflection on what parts one and two add up to, if you will. Right. So it's it's a lot about family grief, um, carrying grief with you. I think about that a lot with this book. Um, and that's something that I, that's a level I relate to it on is that the way that we carry grief. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, it is about inheritance, mm-hmm. what we, what we get from our families, uh, what we want, and what we don't want and how we don't really get that much choice in the matter. Right. Um, the only choice we have is what we do with those things. Um, and yes, definitely an examination of how um, I have dealt with my own grief. My parents died in a murder suicide when I was 14. My sister was 17. So we were orphaned at uh, very young ages and both have had um, our different ways of dealing with that. Um and it's definitely an examination of how grief 
does not leave you. It can sometimes change shape, but it's, it, absences do not go away. Mm-hmm. One thing that comes through in the book beautifully is the way that um, you have used art to deal with that grief and to survive, you know, to get through that. Um, I think a lot of artists do that, don't you? Well, you know, it's the, I think that's a, a question that we turn over a lot, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, are we artists because we've been through things that make us want to make our experiences into art? Are, or um, are artists somehow more susceptible to the extraordinary experience? I don't know. I think it's sometimes both. The only way I seem to be able to make sense out of my life is to spend the time making my experiences into some sort of art, whether that is something that I show the world or or not. Um, I do feel like I have to spend time with my experiences and turning them into something just for myself first. Um, On a larger level, I feel like um, to get sort of cosmic about it, and of course I'm going to get cosmic on that because otherwise I might lose my mind. I've got to attach some sort of meaning to mm-hmm. these things. Um, I, um, I sometimes feel that the reason for um, my extraordinary experience is so that I um, can ultimately turn what happens into some kind of art to turn it back out to the world because that's the only way I can be of any help or any service as a human being. Mm-hmm. And the album is a companion to the book. Um, when I listen to the album, it seems to me like all of the main characters of the book are getting to have their say. Did you sort of have that in mind? Did you construct it that way? Well, I'm not sure that I did at first, but when I listen to the album, I think the same thing. I um, just as I try to be balanced and fair in the in the book, I wanted to do the same thing with the record. Now, you know, poetic license is what it is. We can't always. Um, it, it isn't a courtroom. You know, <laughs> we have to. We have to take. Um, that we have to take that poetic license and tell the truth with it attached to it as well as we can. Um, I think that what my intention was for the record was to create a song cycle that would reflect the same themes in the book. But, you know, I didn't want it to be a situation where you had to have one to understand the other. Mm-hmm. One of the best examples in the book, I think, of, of the main character, uh, having her say is from the point of view of your mother, and that's in uh, The Rock and the Heel. Standing with my babies in the chicken pen, watching over like a nervous mother hen. I gotta hear my prayer, but I don't know when. Mama says I gotta keep my trust in him. I ought to hit my knees in this Alabama dirt, but I'm losing faith. Nothing seems to work. I'm tired. Pushing this rock up the hill. I'm so tell us about that one, Allison. Well, you know, I had this idea, the rock and the hill, you know, that saying, I'm tired of pushing this rock up the hill. 
Um, we've all heard it. We've all known it our whole lives. But it really, it, you know, I'm a parent. I'm a mother to uh, a little boy who's almost 10 years old. And sometimes that experience can be so exhausting that I just think I'm going to drop right here. And that mm-hmm. <laughs> always makes me think about my mama because she was a person who was so utterly capable and was through a lot of chaos, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of disappointment, and a lot of struggle. She didn't have the resources that I have. She didn't have the support that I have. And um, I think about her when I was a little girl, always being in some sort of struggle. And I wanted to express how I think she might have felt in this song, which is, you know, I'm sure she was, you know, a lot of days at her very wit's end. And uh, I just wanted to get that out for her and to give her sort of a primal scream because I know that we all feel that way from time to time. And especially, uh, I think women feel that way a lot when we're trying to do uh, what I what I call a lot with a little. Right. One of the uh, real tenets of, of writing is to... Uh, be both specific and universal and th- this song is such a great example of that right because it's so specific in its details the image of her standing in the uh chicken pen right and but but at the same time it's so universal and that any any parent can relate to that you know and really anybody can relate to feeling like you're always pushing that rock up the hill so Mm-hmm. Well, the chicken pen can be, you know, the playground. It can be mm-hmm. uh, anywhere. Exactly. Um, yeah. I think that feeling of, you know, being a bit helpless in your situation and when you have children and, and you know that they're in the situation with you and you just simply don't know what to do is, is a very universal thing. Mm-hmm. Well, this song really rocks out, you know, and you almost always incorporate at least one rock-driven song on your albums. Um, that reminds me that the industry has always had a hard time figuring out exactly how to peg your music. So now that Americana, yeah, I'm pretty confusing. <laughs> <laughs> now that Americana has become a full-fledged genre, do you feel you have more of a home within that, or should music just not have labels? Period. Well, I understand the need for labels. Uh, labels are so that we can sort things out and figure out what might work for us and what might not. Um, so I get that on that level. Now, is that disappointing? Yes, because, you know, like most artists, I've always said, I just want to walk in a record store and have everything in alphabetical order. Um, just mm-hmm. like I sort my books, just like I sort my records at home. I'm, I'm not concerned with genre. I'm concerned right. with do I like it or not. Um, but I do think you're right. I think that I have always been a bit confusing for people. They don't know exactly what category to put me in because, you know, um, I've always done a lot of different kinds of music because I was interested in doing a lot of different kinds of music. I've never limited myself. It never really even occurred to me that I should. And of course I've got my tongue firmly planted in my cheek when I say that's why I'm such a big commercial success. (laughs) Well, you know, as you know, Yola is a big breakout artist this year who's up for four Grammys, uh, but she's not very Mm -hmm. easily placed either. And I heard her say the other day that she's genre fluid. I thought that was a pretty great new way to put it. 
That is great. And, I, you know, I think times, um, when I started out, my first record came out, my first album came out in 1998. My first sing- single came out in 1997. Um, I think at that time, you know, we didn't really have what we now call Americana. Mm-hmm. So the genre thing might have been even more strict at that point. Um, and we were much more reliant on radio then as opposed to the other, yes. you know, now we have all these streaming platforms and we can just dial up what we want at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, back in that time, we were very dependent on the genre. And even, you know, even things like AAA radio were new and, and uh, non-con radio were, were really, um, we weren't really exposed as much to those things then as we are now. I think that might have something to do with why, you know, I was pegged as a country artist. Mm-hmm. And even though I've definitely made very country records and, and, you know, probably that is my core. That is not all I did from the beginning. Now, I do think that I've been able to break out of that. And especially, you know, someone asked me the other day, do you think that writing this book has increased your audience? And I said, yes, very much so. I feel like that I am seen as something other than just, you know, a singer now, because I've shown that I'm able to do something else that's a bit broader. You're listening to my interview with Allison Moyer here on WUKY 91.3 FM, listener-supported radio. I'm Silas House, and this is On the Porch. Allison, you're also uh, very honest in, in talking about the anger that you've had in the book. But between the lines, the thing that comes up again and again is the grace that you have. Um, is that something you have to work at every day? to possess that empathy for others that you display in the book? What I have to work at remembering is who I am. Um, And if I can do that, then I can get to that place a lot easier. And, you know, that's not always easy to do. I think when you're a busy person, you're running around um, trying to take care of things, trying to take care of your family, trying to be a person who carves out time in their day to create or connect with someone or to have an honest conversation or a, a heartfelt conversation or a moment that means something other than just in a passing way, um, we can lose track of ourselves. I know that that's an issue for me. And one of the things that I try to do is just take a minute to slow down, to make sure I'm connecting to myself and giving myself some space to breathe so that I can remember who I am And who I am at my core is, I believe, a a person who has a lot of compassion and empathy for for other people. And, um, you know, I I have a weekly blog, and I um, Mm -hmm. was thinking about this the other day. You know, I think I see I have a lot of family pictures, and um, I often am looking at myself as as a small child. And sometimes I look at those pictures and remember exactly who I was then Hmm. and who I was then was not angry that who I was then was uh, excited and happy and Mm -hmm. sweet and open and compassionate and interested. And I try to get back to her as much as I can. Hmm. I try to keep a picture of her in my mind. So I think that when you're raised in a situation where you ultimately end up to be a person who is hypervigilant and 
a person who feels like they have to be in control all the time because God knows nobody else is going to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> that can manifest itself in anger um, because it it breeds resentment. I try to go back to the beginning as Mm -hmm. much as I can so that I stay in touch with who I really am and not be the person who's covered up with the um, defense mechanisms and self-protecting devices that we all create. That that reminds me of uh, one of the most powerful songs on the album, um, Heal which you wrote with Mary Gauthier. Um, let's hear just a little bit of that song. Yeah, I'm tough, but I wasn't born this way. I grew hard because I had to carry in the weight. I want to let it go. I want to set it free. But everywhere I turn, fight. What do you want us to know about that one? Well, you know, I thought I was finished writing songs for this album, uh, but I was not because this one was the last one I wrote. I was driving John Henry home from a horseback riding lesson one day in late June, and uh, I just felt like I got hit over the head with this word heal. And not only did I feel like it was a lightning bolt, I I burst into tears. It was just this sort of one-two punch of, oh, my God, here's this word, and oh, crap, I'm crying, and I'm driving, and what am I going to do now? So um, I don't know about you. This probably happens to you as an artist, as a writer. Um, Things come to you in flashes, and then you sort of have to stop what you're doing and deal with it, right? Absolutely, yeah. So so I am... I thought, well, shoot, I thought I was done. I'm apparently not done because I know this is something. So I got home and uh, got John Henry fed and and ready. It was, you know, early evening and uh, got him home, got him ready for bed. And um, after he went to sleep, I went to the piano and started fooling with this and trying to figure out what it was. And, you know, it could have gone in a, in a lot of different directions. But for some reason, I thought, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to call my friend Mary. And um, so I did. And I said, what are you doing on Friday? Um, I haven't asked anyone else to co-write with me for this record, but I really want your perspective. Uh, she and I are, are really close friends. Mm-hmm. And she her background is, is not the greatest either. So we tend to have a lot of conversations about how we keep our baggage from screwing up our life in the present Mm -hmm. because we're both very aware that if you drag around everything bad that ever happened to you, it's bound to get in the way of having a genuine experience with the world. Mm -hmm. So um, I said, I really want your perspective and can you come over? And and she kind of hemmed and hawed and was grumpy with me, but she came over and uh, we, we figured out what to do with it. And it's, uh, it's very important to me. It feels like a prayer mm-hmm. and uh, a plea for, for uh, guidance and grace. Yeah, and it's a meditation, too. You know, when you were talking about just taking a minute out of every day, to me, the song feels that way. You know, it's like a moment of just telling yourself mm-hmm. that you can heal from these yeah. things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something else I really related to in the book is when you talk about having imposter syndrome, 
Um, at one point in the book, you talk about some of the luxuries you've been able to experience in the music world, but you write, quote, but I never stopped feeling like that red-headed, pale-skinned, short-legged, unworthy child from a poor family licking the grease from fried catfish off of her fingers. I'm still afraid I might have to put something back. I never stopped thinking that I'll be found out, end quote. Can you talk about that a little bit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well... <laughs> I think that I don't know that I could describe it any better. I just had such luck in my life, and I've been so fortunate to have in in you know in a way just been plucked out of what could have been not a great trajectory because a couple of extraordinary gifts I was born with. Um, I can sing. And the other thing that I had was an upbringing that allowed me to see that art could be a real path. Mm -hmm. You know, we were poor when I was growing up. I didn't ever know if there was ever enough money. It sure didn't feel like it. I watched my mama struggle. When you listen to The Rock and the Hill, that's me picturing her driving down the road, you know, a a two-lane road with in a car that uh, the headlights didn't work great on. And she was often digging for lunch money and was late and was balancing a cup of coffee on the dashboard. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, that's your upbringing is not easy to shake. Right. I think that uh, no matter where we go in the world or what we do or what great accomplishments we achieve, we still always feel like uh, who we did when we were little kids. And, if there's insecurity there, you take that with you. Right. And when you're not raised with money, it's something that it, it just always sticks with you. And in the entertainment world, often we're you know, thrust into these situations with people that just didn't have that same experience. And so it really does make you feel like an outsider so often, I think. So I, I love the way you talked mm-hmm. about that in the book. Well, sometimes, you know, you just find these, find yourself in a, in, you find yourself in a situation that's just almost absurd. Because <laughs> yes. you wait a minute. I remember watching the pen roll up in little rolls during Hurricane Frederick in 1980. <laughs> and I'm now at the Four Seasons in Santa Barbara. Now, mm-hmm. does that make any sense? Not really. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty of it is it can happen. The, the flip of it is, uh, how do you absorb that and and be grateful with it? You're listening to my interview with Allison Moyer here on WUKY 91.3 FM. We are listener-supported radio. I'm Silas House, and this is On the Porch. Now, Allison, I want to go way back to 1997 because I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with this next song. It's such a beautiful song. Now, this was your debut single, and it was chosen by Robert Redford to use in his film, The Horse Whisperer. Then he asked you to be in the movie, and to beat it all, the song ends up getting nominated for an Academy Award, and you found yourself performing on the Oscars. So that must have been a surreal experience that I just have to ask about. <laughs> Talk about imposter syndrome. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's a prime example. Yeah. So... I was, at that time, 26 years old. That was my very first single. I had just put my album out. Um, Funny story about that happening. Well, first of all, I found myself in Montana with Robert Redford filming this scene for this movie 
you know, in I, I was the singer in the at the barn dance uh, scene where uh, Robert Redford and Kristen Scott Thomas dance, and it's this big romantic moment. So I, um, you know, they flew me first class to to uh, Montana, and I was there for about a week filming the scene, and it was gorgeous. And you know, of course, I grew up knowing who Robert Redford was. He didn't. So that was uh, a bit surreal. So it started there. Then um, the movie came out the following year, 1998. Um, my first album came out in 1998, in, uh, I believe, September. January of 1999, I am starting to hear rumblings about changes at my record label, which was MCA Nashville at the time. And um, I had had an early breakfast meeting, and I was driving in my car back to my house. It's about 9.30 in the morning. And my cell phone rang. Now, my cell phone was about as big as a shoebox. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that? Mm-hmm. And I just, uh, you know, I'm yeah. driving along. And I, I answered, the, it, my phone rings, I answer the phone, and it's Tony Brown, who was the president of the label. He had signed me. And Bruce Hinton, who was the chairman of the label, and they're both on the phone, and I thought, oh, crap, here it comes. They're dropping me because of all these changes at the label. But I said, uh, what's up? And they said, well, we just are calling to let you know that you're, that a Southwest of all has been nominated for an Academy Award. And I thought, oh, thank God, I thought you were dropping me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought this was the call. So that kicked off a whole, you know, sort of six weeks a flurry of activity. I was on the Tonight Show. I was back and forth to Los Angeles doing things like going to a nominee's luncheon with Gwyneth Paltrow and Jeffrey Rush and just all this crazy stuff. And there I am, my Alabama self, not even knowing really what to wear at that time and just trying, just making it up as I, as I went. And then um, I was asked to perform on the show. So that was a whole week of rehearsals and pre-records and meeting Bill Conti, who's a legendary, com- you know, conductor. And uh-huh. there's Randy Newman and there's Diane Warren. And just, um, it was crazy. And um, I remember telling myself, okay, I really don't want to screw this up. And I want my performance to be good. So I practiced visualizing how I wanted it to go several times every day leading up to that. And the good news was, and still is, I survived it. I didn't make a fool of myself. But I just remember wanting to be very present so that I would remember it and could be as much in control of the experience as I could. Because when something like that happens to you, it just, you know, people, uh, it's just, it's a big deal. They, you know, in their entertainment world, that's, it's one of those things that is an asterisk um, that, is by your name forever. Mm-hmm. It's like New York Times bestseller or Grammy Award winner or, you know, it's just one of those things. And it's crazy that it happened to me at all, especially at that time. Well, much deserved. It's a great song. But as I've told you before, my favorite song of yours is Easy in the Summertime. Watermelon tastes so good. Bare feet on the Summer dresses Nanny May Cut off blue jeans torn in fray 
Now, I use this song quite often in my creative writing classes. It, I think it's a, a great song to use to teach students about how to be specific, how to use imagery, and how to create sense of place. You talk about this song in your book, and you you don't mention many of your songs in there, so it made me wonder if this is a favorite of yours that you've written, too. It is a favorite of mine because, uh, I think for a couple reasons. First of all, it is one of my songs that is specific to my relationship with my sister. Mm-hmm. And it is also it also references my childhood in what I feel like is a positive way. And I have not done that very often. So it, it mm. brings me a lot of comfort to uh, to perform it. Well, speaking of your sister, there's another song um, on the new record um, called Night Lot that is uh, a, another one that's so specific yet so universal. Here's a little bit of that one. Lying here together in the dark You might not think I feel your heart I promise you I do It'll always be just us two Tell us a little bit about Not Lot. Well, funny story about that, uh, about how I wrote that song. I, um, (laughs) this is funny. I pricked my finger with a thorn from a rose Mm. and it got infected. And uh, my finger swelled up like crazy. So I went to one of the urgent care places and the doctors prescribed me a Uh, an antibiotic that was far too strong and that I ended up being allergic to. So about three days later, I am in hives from head to toe and just miserable, really felt like I wanted to just jump off a bridge because I just itched so bad, couldn't sleep. It was horrible. So I ended up having to get a cortisone shot and uh, I had to take a, a round of steroids to get all this inflammation down. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but steroids make me crazy. Yes. They are. (laughs) And not necessarily in a bad way. You just have this burst of energy Mm -hmm. where, and it's just like you're everywhere doing everything and everything's very quick. Believe it or not, I started this song when I was under the influence of steroids. (laughs) So I don't know what that means other than things were just sort of clicking. And it's such a mellow song. That's interesting. (laughs) I was able to put that emotion together with that melody, and it just happened. Mm. And, and it was one of those one of those moments where I thought, "Wow, I, I'm so happy that I I got to catch that mm. little burst of energy because um, it's uh, it, it you know and it's you you saw me do this too when we did that interview at the at the AMA thing last fall when mm-hmm. you interviewed me about my book, which, by the way, you were the first person to talk to me publicly about this book. I'm, I'm very proud um, of that. I, I, I performed it and, and just almost didn't get through it. And mm. it is still very emotional for me because I feel so grateful that I have a sister. And I'm um, not only that I have a sister, but I, I have a sister who shares my experience and can get as close as one can get to feeling what I feel. Right. 
We're going to play a song by you and your sister to close the show, so we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But I cannot let you go without talking a little bit about our shared love for dogs. What is it for you that's so important about having an animal within arm's reach? Uh, well, I think upbringing has a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, we were country people. We lived out in the middle of nowhere. So, of course, that means we had a lot of critters. We had chickens. We had goats. We had cows. We had a horse. We always had cats and dogs. I remember at one time, uh, Daddy took a stab at raising border collies. So, at one time, I think we had 21 dogs. Um, wow. I just love them, and I love dogs specifically because they just love us so unconditionally right. and so sweetly. And I think they feel and know us in ways that other creatures don't. Mm. Um, I'm I I um, always want a critter. A creature. I always do. I just love them. I'd, I'd take them all if I could. Me too. That's what I say all the time. I just wish I had a big farm where I could take as many as I wanted to. Uh, um, all of <laughs> all of you out there should follow Allison on Instagram because she does wonderful posts. But the best ones are of her dog Willie, and she does a daily <laughs> a daily William that I always look forward to. <laughs> I also hope that everybody out there will. Go wherever you buy your books and music and get copies of both the memoir and the album. They're both called Blood. Reading the book and listening to the music have both been balms for me ever since they came out, and I know they will be for you too. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Allison. sure appreciate you. Thank you, Silas. It's so good to talk to you. And uh, just so you know, I'm a huge admirer of your work too, and it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. I sure appreciate that. I could just talk to you for hours, but we'll stop for now. We're going to close with a song by Allison Moyer and her sister, Shelby Lynn, from their duets album, Ain't Dark Yet. The song is a cover of Nick Cave's classic, Into My Arms. Thanks to all of you for joining us here today for another episode of On the Porch. Until next time, be good to one another. I don't believe in an interventionist God. Darling, that you do. But if I did, I would kneel down and ask him. Thanks for listening to the podcast of On the Porch. I'm your host, Silas House. This episode was engineered and produced by DeBron Thomas at the studios of WUKY 91.3 FM in Lexington, Kentucky. We are listener-supported radio, and we thank you for joining us.